On today's podcast, you're going to listen to a live coaching call by a Hui Duo Pipeline Club member. Also, remember to share this with friends because if you don't, soon you won't have any friends to have a midday lunch with when you've left the job. Sign up for the Hui Duo Pipeline Club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And here we go. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, simple passive cash flow listeners. Today we have a live coaching call where I asked some of the members in the Huidio Pipeline Club if they were willing to come on the camera, do a little coaching session. And today on the line, I got Matt. How's it going, Matt? How you doing? Good, good, good. This is also going to be done in video form. And if you guys want to follow along, you can check out the YouTube channel or just check out the website um, for this the show notes for this podcast if you're listening in audio form. But I have displayed on here your personal financial sheet, Matt. You know, kind of just so we get a, a sense of, you know, what your situation is. Kind of how did you, um, how did you first find Simple Passive Cash Flow? Just how did you find us? probably started listening to Wealth Formula, I heard you on there, and then got redirected and started in the beginning. And that was basically when you got started. So it's been, what, a year and a half, two years now? Uh, yeah, so it's been a while. Same mental pathways. So just been following along since. Right, right. And so, so you're kind of more of a, on the younger side. I mean, you're not, how, how old are you generally right now? 33. Okay, okay. So so you're kind of another working professional, you're a doctor, and if you kind of wanted to kind of tell us like what you, what you were up to for the last decade after undergraduate, take us up to present day. Well, most of that has been as a slave <laughs> for the medical. I only finished my training a year and a half ago now, so went straight from undergrad to medical school, and that was four years in Atlanta, and from there did a year of internship in Tampa, Florida. From there, did four years of residency training in radiology in Oklahoma City. And then after that, I did a year of fellowship in orthopedic radiology in South Carolina. And now I moved back home to South Florida, and I've been working as a attending physician for a year and a half now. Right. And it's just so some people can follow along. You know, everybody thinks doctors make a lot of money, but, you know, in residency, I mean, you're not making too much, right? No, in, in my internship, uh, I mean, it depends on, you know, the state and the program. Internship was 40 grand for the year. And, you know, you're working close to 80 hours a week. And then probably when I started residency, it was a different pro- program entirely. So maybe you got bumped up to 45. And by the time, you know, you're done with into my fellowship year. So in your sixth year of postgraduate training, uh, it was maybe 55, 58,000, somewhere in there. So right now I've got your your personal financial sheet um, filled up here on the screen. Just kind of going through the salaries and, you know, a big part of it is, do you have any student loans or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, quite, uh, just a little bit. I think probably started at about $250,000 and wanted to start a repayment right after medical school to capitalize the interest, you know, before it really started accruing. I mean, at the beginning, I was, you know, only paying a few hundred bucks a month based off, you know, based off income. So, you know, the interest was growing more than I was paying. So I finally refinanced it about a year and a half ago. So now I pay 
$2,600 a month. And, you know, my loan balance is still over 225000 All right. And, and so in residency, do you have to pay it off then? Or do you, is that when you're in repayment? You don't have to. Uh, you can go into deferment based off of that per hourly wage you're making below minimum wage. So you can push it off. But, you know, if you don't make those payments, then every time more interest accrues, when you do go into repayment, it capitalizes. So then you're paying, you know, interest off of a higher amount. And I didn't want to do that. So I went into payment and just did an income-based repayment type plan. So even though I, uh, I owed so much money, they were only forcing me to pay, you know, like 300 bucks a month. So I did that for, you know, the six years. And then after you make a certain amount of money, they no longer allow you to repay. So the, the use of the cash here on this right side of this, this column, um, I'm trying to just break this down. So is the, are you lumping your student loans into the living expenses here? I, the 13,000 a month. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So if you look up in the, in the function, the 2652, that's, that's the student loan. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, and actually 189 is as well, but that's from uh, the 2652 is on the private side and the 189 is what's still left with government. Okay. Okay. So almost three grand for, almost a quarter million dollars of debt. That's kind of the repayment. Yeah. Okay. That's a 10 year, 10 year repayment plan. 10 year payment. Okay. That's why it's so large. Okay. Just, I, I just don't have a good sense of those kinds of numbers. So that's, thanks for that. Yep. So essentially you're, you're kind of burning on about $10,000 a month on living expenses, which would be crazy to most people. But the fact that you, you're making 35,000 a month, is is what's making this engine go yeah and i mean i I have a fiance and i basically pay her expenses so that's part of it and i think yeah i I hear those are expensive too yeah yeah you're learning for yourself huh yeah (laughs) but at the end of the day you know the important number is you know you, you sum up all your cash here and you've also got some real estate income there so that's awesome Mm. So that's helping out a lot. And then you, you know, you're, you're taking all your deduct your expenses and at the end of the day, your net cash flow is about 15,000 a month. So that's yeah. awesome. Right. hundred, it's like 150. Even if you go on a super large vacation, right. You should be able to put away a hundred grand a year. Yeah, actually uh, the living expenses, I include a thousand of that a month for vacation. So awesome. Awesome. 15,000 is what I plan to invest every year yeah so i mean i i think this is the kind of the fault that a lot of your peers fall in right you're making so much money and you kind of just blow cash and random stuff are you what i mean i I know how you are kind of personally a little bit that's not how you are but how do you how do you kind of you want to kind of talk to a little bit about keeping up with the dr joneses yeah i mean it's tough uh part of it was because i kind of got into personal finance when i was still in residency knowing that it's a common mistake that a lot of doctors make you know you go from very small income and you're having to balance and budget to all of a sudden you're making a lot it's easy to just spend it so i kind of started planning before i even had the money that way i would just kind of be ahead and so 
I bought a rental property before I even graduated my residency. Right. And that was um, just a, like a single family home. Yeah, it was, a, it was a duplex. I mean, my residency was in Oklahoma City, a pretty decent cash flow market. Uh, so I bought a duplex there for like pretty cheap and rehabbed it and got it cash flowing, owning it today. Yeah, so, so the down payment for that, how did you get your hands on that? Uh, just cash savings. I mean, it, it wasn't a significant down payment. I mean, it was, you know, the property was purchased for uh, 57000 and I also had a construction loan on top of it. So I, and I put the 20% down. So it was, it was maybe with closing costs, twenty-five grand, and that was just money that I had been saving, you know, not spending. Part of the thing is when you're in residency, you know, you're working 80 hours a week, especially when you live in Oklahoma City. I'm from South Florida, big city, and nothing really in Oklahoma City entices me that much. Right. To be, so you can't be traveling. So really, it's almost forced savings because you're studying and in the hospital all the time. So right. after uh, four or five years, I had the 25 grand to be able to put down. Well, I think that's really good insight for, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctors are serving undergrad and get this personal finance blog and kind of the same thing, like you're saying, they're looking at a way to get started and there you go. That's kind of just proven that correct. And, you know, that's given him a leg up that's, you know, although he's making 35,000 a month, that's five grand is, is directly coming from that. And more importantly, you're already sort of experienced in this game you can kind of take the hundred, the $150,000 and put it into much more efficient investments as yeah. opposed to just starting with a turnkey rental where you are, or, you know, at this point, but so kind of talk to us like where you are at today. What's your, what's the game plan for investing now? Um, I mean, I'm trying to somewhat stay diversified in terms of where I'm putting money. I don't really put much into if any into the stock market. I mean, just stuff, had when I had you know a 401k when I was a state employee so I still had that moved some of it into a self-directed Roth and had put that into a syndication once I was accredited and then you know for the for the others I mean I'm kind of doing still trying to stay on the residential side of housing just because I think it does afford some different opportunities than syndications and then maybe focusing on buying one house per year basically as a turnkey and the rest of it is going to syndication models. I also am like currently living in a triplex that I bought and renting out the other two units. So that was kind of a built-in income, really, I guess, more saving expenses. Also, so I'm currently looking to move out of this triplex and buy another one and do the same thing again. Yeah. It definitely gives me a leg up on, you know, some of my other friends that are physicians that are, you know, living in million-dollar houses and they're they're paying six grand a month their mortgage and you know my mortgage is still similarly high but my after expenses income and i'm paying you know 1500 bucks a month so i think academically i mean you're making over 100 grand in savings in the bank every year technically you should be just straight up passive investor in syndications you know let's talk a little bit about like what's driving you to kind of be more on the active side is it is it more of like uh something looking for something to do or yeah some of it, i think some of it's uh yeah ego related just in terms of having the control of some things and yeah just like some a little personal satisfaction of accomplishing something striving to do something and then i do think 
that there is more, I guess, in a certain scheme, wealth to be created that way. Also, like, you know, forced savings plans, made it less efficient money, but at the same time, maybe a little more stable. If, if say, I keep an asset that's a single family home, you know, I can still count on that for 30 years, whereas the syndications, you know, for the most part, they're being sold for five years. So I kind of want something to offset, you know, hey, in four or five years, if there's less deals available, I don't know what there is going to be, that I'll still have a strategy that I'll be able to access. Right. And, and, and a part of this too, is you started from the ground up, right? You got a single family home. So you kind of, you kind of know how this, this works. So that's yeah, a, I mean, a good I thing. Yeah, I never managed it, but uh, it was definitely a different experience staying on top of a contractor and doing a rehab. So it was a good experience. I mean, by no means know exactly what I'm doing still. It's where yeah. I'm yeah. But what's in terms of taxes, I mean, I, I think you're probably a little bit better off on the syndication side with the cost eggs that can be done. What is your, you kind of mentioned taxes. What, what are you kind of thinking there? Yeah, I get, so I haven't been in, like I haven't been in the syndications long enough to get a K1 from it to know exactly what it would do for me. I, I know that my income from this distributions is going to be less than the taxable, but so far, you know, like you know, that year that I bought the duplex and I, you know, I filed, you know, the following year, I mean, I got a significant amount of my taxes taken from my paycheck back. So that was kind of eye-opening in just the sense that, you know, if you can do one of those per year, it's a significant amount to put back in your pocket. I didn't really have that, have that in 2018, but I did invest in the conservation easement. So still waiting to see how that's going to turn out. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my strategy kind of leans on taxes just because yeah. I'm not employed, <laughs> so definitely pay my worth. Yeah. I, and I, and I think, you know, this, this is exactly how I'm kind of doing things. Like you read it in a book, people tell you things, but you really got to just dip your foot in, go into syndication and, and say, well, I invested a hundred grand here, are how it actually happens on the K one and you get the K one and you see the depreciation on the gains and you give it to your CPA and the CPA does it. And I'm finally getting that, you know, my just got my 2017 done and you know, actually understanding in, real practical sense how the passive losses get bought, brought on onto lowering your income. And I think it's just right, right, now, right now I have so much losses rolled over uh, right. that, you know, I really need to build up the passive income for it to be utilized even. Right. Right. And part of that is having a spouse that's a real estate professional, right? So it doesn't, you can take those losses. I've talked about that, but she's still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it's a big one, man. I mean, I, I get it. A lot of times they say they're very passionate about something, but, you know, talk to your CPA about how you can make this happen. I mean, may, maybe they just, you know, work half time or something. Actually, the CPA actually brought it up to me. Uh, I mean, I had heard about it and my fiance, she's a hairstylist. So she wants to open up a salon, which I think, you know, would be beneficial for me to having person like a business and, you know, we can run expenses through a business rather than through me. And then hopefully, eventually, she's not really needing to manage it. And at that point, she would kind of transition into that role of being a real estate professional. Uh, but I, she's focused on opening up the salon first, which got to right. some things. Right. And, and that'll probably take at least five years, I'm guessing, before she transitions to being a more, you know, the four quadrants, right? The, the, I guess that'd be the investor or not the business owner. Going from the 
business to investor quadrant. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I make enough money to where she doesn't need to make six figures off of it for it to be successful or for it to accomplish what we need. I mean, if it just pays for our expenses and at the end of the day, she pays her employees and right. we get to write off some passive income from other areas. To me, that's, that's a win. And then if she makes more off of that, then that's just a bonus. When I was getting my first few rentals, I found networking at a local REI club absolutely a waste of time. Most of the people you network with, especially in random networking events, will not lead to anything. A running joke amongst sophisticated investors is that the local real estate club is the worst place for us passive investors to find peers because it's just a bunch of broke people. That's why people are seeking real estate advice to get unbroke. Hashtag BP. For the same reason, I am turned off by the 10x Grant Cardone followers because they are really a ninja in disguise. No income, no job, no assets. In some cases, they have a scarcity mindset motivated individual willing to step over whoever they need so they are not broke anymore. For more networking tips, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash people. Since 2016, I've given hundreds, almost thousands of free calls to my podcast listeners. And now you can chat with me, but you got to join the Who You Deal Pipeline Club. I do this to filter the right people into my circle. I'm always watching and taking notes. Tip. I give freely and generously to who those who reciprocates and exhibits generosity. Some people are givers and other takers. I've left so much money on the table giving out free advice, contacts, and resources. This is the way I filter people who I want to work with in the future. Ultimately, I play the long game. The Mastermind Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow is a platform to find like-minded, curated, not broke people or jerks, and the best chance for a busy adult to meet lifelong friends, even when you have graduated from the program. For the price I'm offering for the networking alone, it's worth it. <clears throat> but wait! By the way, you get 27 weeks of organized content and bi-weekly semi-private coaching calls too. SimplePassiveCashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. Yeah, and I, and I think you got to do the calculation here. You, I think you guys make so much money that it, for most people, yeah, putting it, running the, the money through the business would make sense. But I think you make so much money that it, it's better off that she's a real estate professional and you getting to use all the passive losses. So, I mean, yeah. something, something to think about, talk to your CPA, talk to her about is maybe thinking about, you know, if she is going to start on this entrepreneur venture, maybe on paper, the hours that she shows doing that isn't high. So it's something to play around with. I mean, I kind of do what I do on the side, right? In terms of hours. So I think it's worth it to, I mean, man, if you were able to take all those passive losses, you know, this year or right away, I mean, that's huge. It's huge savings for you guys. Yeah. yeah to, and then especially to not have to rely on, you know, like a conservation easement to get the cash back or not have a cap at 50% of, of the AGI. I don't have to worry about getting them back. You can just save it in the Right, right. And and for you know, for not for you, Matt, since you already know these things, but for the for the listener, the what we're talking about is the conservation easement, which is like a charitable donation, which is sort of like a a pill to lower your taxes right away by lowering your, your taxable income. What that thing is, is basically you're making a charitable contribution to the world in a way. 
where you're giving a piece of land at the, the highest market value, which is very, very high since you're always taking that highest value and you're getting this huge, almost like a one to $5, right? Yeah. The one I did this year was uh, just over, I think it was 5.5 to one. Right. Yeah. So, so what a lot of people have high incomes or another, you know, this, this think of it like a drug, right? You're trying to cure different symptoms. So high AGI, can, can be caused by either a high income or maybe you're trying to, you finally woke up to this stuff when you're going to take your 401k out and start investing it, but you're going to, it's going to blow up your AGI. A conservation easement is one of those ways to kind of mitigate that in a one or two year time span. But, you know, it's a shot in the arm, right? It's not a long-term fix is the problem. And that's, yeah, that's, where, that's where some of these more longer term deals that actually are growing equity instead of i mean i call them kind of tax gimmicks in a way yeah it's really just a way to get more cash to push into something else right right so that's that's the thing right like you're you're making a hundred grand you're saving a hundred grand at least a year the way i see it is you've got a couple of silver bullets you know a couple of 50 grand chunks that you can put into a couple of good deals every year or like how you said you're, you're putting half into your own stuff half into syndications of LP. I, I like that. I mean, the whole idea of, I mean, you're kind of, you're definitely one of those type A guys, right, man? Like you, you still, you're making all this money at your, as your doctor job and you like to do the stuff on your side for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you, you had a post, it might've been, it's pretty a while ago and it was related to uh, kind of self-improvement and, you know, it's kind of, what are you doing it for? You know, it's not really not about the outcome. It's about the, what's your experience on the way. So if I'm just investing in just syndications, I don't know, I just feel less valuable. So again, it's probably ego driven, but uh, you got to be something that you got to have something to strive for or else. What you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you and I are kind of the same age, right? We don't have kids quite yet. Or I don't think you do. Nope. So that, that kind of plays a part. I think when that happens from what I see from other people, the, the game definitely changes. So you, the, the whole thing is to get as as high and as uh, far as you can now, and then you know reevaluate every year, right? That's why you do your goals yeah. every year. I mean, so how? Tell me a little bit about like work. I mean, how stressful it is it? Is it something that you want to do long term? It's uh, you know, when you're at work, I mean, it's still a job, but and I picked a field that I knew had a good lifestyle component, so uh, I probably average. 38 to 40 hours a week. Uh, I work one weekend a month. I get eight weeks of vacation a year. So, I mean, the, the stress level is not very high. You know, I don't have to take my work home with me. There's no being on call. I either work or I don't work. So, but when you're, when you are working, you know, we see a regular physician, you know, they're spending time with patients, you know, they see maybe, you know, 20, 30 a day. But when I'm looking at images and with technology, there's just a lot more turnover of patients. So, you know, I'm seeing, over a hundred patients a day. So it's busy. It's a lot of work, a lot of, you know, mental stress and focus on those hours, but outside of those hours, it's pretty forgiving where it makes up for it. I don't by any means not like going to work, but it'd be nice to just choose to say, Hey, I only want to work, you know, three days a week. My goal is to be able to do that around in, you know, 15 years or so. So what is, what's your, your kind of one to three year game plan in terms of like, at your job are you going to cut hours or any short-term plan uh, there 
no, I, I kind of always looking for a better situation, not necessarily leave my job, but got another recent job offer where it was kind of a little more lenient. I mean, it was something nice to consider just less hours working, no weekends, more vacation time. So, you know, if something like that comes along and I'm kind of keep that in my mind, I mean, I don't, I don't mind working, obviously. Yeah. Life's know. good. You know, generally life's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> complain. I mean, I, my eight weeks off, I mean, it's, it's tough to complain about eight weeks off. Right. Uh, a little stringent in terms of how you can take them, but still plenty to plan for. I mean, at this point, as I mean, yes, I make a lot, but if I were to take every week off and had a big vacation, I mean, that would seriously be dipping into what I'm saving. So, you know, it's just different budgeting at a different level and just make sure that I still stay within my, what I really need. I mean, I'm, I'm more focused and I get more enjoyment probably out of growing the funds that I have. Just that way, the more passive I can be with my income, the less yeah. I really have to worry about those things because, you know, at a certain point. Right. And, and you're, I think you're kind of like me. We got the Scrooge McDuck syndrome where you just kind of like to watch the numbers on your online bank account go up. It's kind of it, it is nice. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, something to keep in mind, you know, like a lot of like the doctors I, I work with, like they're, they usually cut back their hours three days a week, two days a week. So that that's something, if, if that's what you choose to do, right. I mean, like life will probably change here and there, but that's, that's a common thing I see. From what I've experienced, you know, a lot of physicians will take their high paying private practice job, like I'm private practice now. And then when they're ready to scale back, they switch to academic medicine. So you're working at a larger tertiary care center and there it's much more lenient and you have more flexibility in doing whatever you want to do. Right. Cause right now, I mean, if I just do the quick math, your, your, your passive is 5,000, your, your monthly is 35,000. You've almost got 20% of it. I mean, you're still on that, that road there out of the rat race but you eventually get there and it's just two bigger deals a year but let's talk about like you know a little bit on like where is this all going I mean you mentioned your fiance's got that business what 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 kind of gets you more excited helping her do that that thing and see where you can kind of plug the holes or kind of keep doing your your smaller single family home burrs and stuff like that which would get you going I think the the business more than the actual real estate itself is more enticing to me. I mean, I think do or help her with her business plan. And I think it'd be great to, you know, part of the business plan would be to have it franchised. And then, you know, then, you, you know, you really are getting into that. B yeah. quadrant. Right. Uh, and and a, like, a book recommendation I, I always kind of tell people to read is Michael Gerber's E-Myth. If you've read that. Right, Emith. I do. I do have it. Uh, I've done. I've done four-hour work week, which, from what I understand, is the same realm. Yeah. So Emith, the, the the main concepts are there's like three big people of a business, right? You got the visionary, which is the entrepreneur. You have the the manager. This is the kind of the person operation to get stuff done, and then you have the technician. So, like in a bakery, the technician would be obviously the baker, right? And unfortunately, why a lot of businesses fails because they suck at being a manager and then the marketing visionary type. I'm suspecting your fiance is more of the technician. Is that right? Yeah. Like she's, she does the hair, right? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll probably be the visionary of the endeavor. She's definitely a technician. I mean, that's what she does now. Uh, and she doesn't want to stop doing that. I think she understands the value of potentially being able to step away and just do it when she wants to do it. Right, right. So, I mean, I think that's, if I'm kind of finding, I mean, the, the first question was always like, well, what kind of gets you going? And to break it down to like one of those three pieces and for you to kind of plug yourself into that whole side, at the end of the day, it's kind of, it kind of gets your juices flowing, right? If you can kind of play that higher, higher visionary, playing the marketing side. I don't know if you're the one who came up with, used that, the F word, the franchise word, if it's her. I'm guessing oh, it's probably resting it to you yeah <laughs> yeah so that makes total sense but you know you're probably i'm more of the visionary type too and but the problem with that is like you know getting stuff done the manager type you get all these good ideas but just so little time right and you got to go play doctor too and flip, flip that house that you got open up too and, well, that, i mean that part is you know significantly less and i haven't Besides the living in house hack, uh, for the most part, you know, I see it more as a, a turnkey type of model. Yeah, yeah. But I think for you, for you guys, it's you have you have the freedom to kind of do what you want, but you know, spend your time in the ways that you want, right? And, and what I'm hearing from you is that you you want to spend your time more on this business, kind of on the creative side. So whatever you say no to, whether it is burrs or flips you put more time into what you do, right? And that's what we're trying to arbitrage here. Do, doing things as you like it. And I mean, I still try to think about, you know, the, the end goal and it, it would be nice to just sit back and just manage the business. And not really, you know, I don't really got to go worry about dealing with her clients, her customers, her employees. It's kind of what she gets to do. I just kind of get to help out and make sure it's all in the right trajectory. And then ultimately, you know, even if I keep working until I'm 60, whether that happens or not, uh, it's just, you know, right now she works and I get vacation and I really can't do anything because she can't take vacation as much as I do. So it's really getting to that point where one, I don't have to work, but three days a week or whenever I have that vacation, it doesn't really, not really burning about budgeting the vacation and it just becomes doing experience to get the experience. And then she could do whatever she chooses to do because she's in charge. Right. And I, I think that's, that's super important when you just recognize there, right? Problems are things that way that we should design our solution. So for you guys, it's the freedom to go wherever. And it, you know, this may clash with her, what, she, what her vision is, right? She may want to be that technician and yeah, Matt's doing all this stuff where he's franchising this or that, right. And the internet and all this other stuff. But, her vision may be that she just wants to be that celebrity uh, hairstylist, you know, in, amongst this whole thing. And that may clash with your vision of, Hey, you know, we just, let's, let's head off somewhere for two months. Right. So that, that's yeah. something that kind of has to be discussed. Yeah. And I would say she's not that point now, but I mean, you never know what happens when someone starts having success. Things change. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always easier to go that way. than the the other way where someone, no one, someone just wants to eat bonbons and watch hdtv all day long right at, at this point it's it's been a gentle push more and more towards it so she's definitely pushing into her out of her comfort zone but i think the more and more she 
sees what it is, the more and more she's interested. So that's good. Yeah, it's kind of like Crazy Rich Asians, right? How they got that that girl who's just, oh, this first class, I can do all this stuff. I don't just have to work all the time. Yep. So, um, yeah, was there anything that, you know, specifically I can kind of help you out with? Any Anything you wanted to kind of bounce ideas off? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I just, you know, I get that shiny ball syndrome where there are lots of different ways to go. I mean, it's nice, like, I, you know, I make a lot of money, but, I mean, if I were, for as many options I see as things to do with it, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's enough. And that's not for buying things, doing things. That's just for investing things. I mean, I'm like, I like taking my vacations, but for whatever reason, I get more excited about investing in things. So it's really just about, you know, how much do I want to do set aside for this? I mean, I currently have budgeted out about $125,000 a year for investment purposes. And that's not necessarily just something that returns me money, you know, if maybe 10, 15, 20,000 of it may be on personal development, you know, doing a mastermind or taking a, some sort of course, or just, you know, overall personal improvement. To me, that's, you know, I have that in my investment money. And then that might leave another, you know, 100 to 115,000 a year to, am I going to buy, you know, one turnkey house, and that's going to, you know, cost me, you know, 25 to 30 grand. And then, no, I'm going to go into one syndication deal. Am I going to go to, into two syndications? Uh, am I switching up who I'm going to syndicate with? Or am I going to go into some sort of uh, syndication and a fund? Or you know, it's really just about the allocation. And I mean, I, there's no right answer, but it's, uh, I guess, guidance in terms of people who have thought about more insight into, yes, it's a good strategy, those kind of things. Right. And then I think if I recall, you, you were always kind of looking at doing all kinds of things. Like you, you scoot around with like the land investing thing and all these like intro bootcamp stuff, right? Like you're a tinkerer in a way. Uh, I mean, I, I would say I hear those things and I get an interest, but in specifically attempting to do any of them, I haven't really done any of those, but uh, there's like you know, the whole uh, cash flowing the the stock market forget the guy's name but one of the rich dad advisors and just being able to do that you know just something as something on the side to bring in monthly cash flow i've thought about doing that or you know doing a mentorship and really getting into syndications more or maybe not even syndications maybe i'm just trying to take down something with myself but i guess i just not sure that it's the best thing that I should be doing or, you know, the best should I be using my time to where I've kind of not done them yet, but been close. Right. I mean, it, you're making 35,000 a month. If you were to carve off half a day to do those other pursuits, right. That's less money that comes in and that's pretty much what it, what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah. I wouldn't really have that option. I mean, like I'm a employed physician and like it's a massive group. So it's really, I have the time, you know, I get my schedule per week and I got to show up. There's really no taking a day off. My time off comes in week increments and I got to make them like six months ahead of time. And my, all my weekend, uh, uh, my weekend work shifts are made six months ahead of time. So it's really, you know, I would know what kind of where my schedule is going to be. And I would just have to be doing it outside of that. Right. Right. I, I think, you know, I'm kind of in the part imparting thoughts here you're going to be all right. You're not going to starve to death by any means. But I think 
I think you're kind of in a good position. You, you're, I think you're still in that searching stage and, and I'm like this too, you know, you're always trying to try different things, but you're still investing, right? Putting away the hundred grand a year and in, in a couple of deals, a few deals every year, but always kind of tinkering, whether it is like the hairstylist business or the, the fix and flips, what is it that, that really, you know, gets you going and something that's fun. Uh, your hobby i guess what you should yeah. be going with that lens on and then something something will resonate i, I believe you know maybe the next year or two i gotta work on my patience i get i get you know enough money saved up and i want to go find it a place for it to go right then and there i got 50 grand in savings and i'm like i don't want it sitting in my savings account you know i want to put it in you know ehp and let it sit there until i find something but then i know something could be on the horizon, you know, relatively shortly, like I'll have money, X amount of money that I know I'm able to expend in March. So why am I going to move it over to HP for a couple months? Yeah. And, and, and kind of a lot of people are sort of like Matt in, in terms of like, you know, kind of a constant spinning top, right? You're always, you, you're going to be all right. And, and I liked how you said, you know, you, you, you do set aside money for vacations. That's a great thing. And then you do take all your vacations and just kind of celebrating it too. I think, I think that's something that you should try and be mindful of too. And what, what's something that you kind of want to buy in the next year once you've kind of walked, you know, you, you, your goal is a couple, you know, placing that hundred grand somewhere. And once you've done that and you kind of kept on moving the hairstylist thing forward and your fix and flips forward, I think that's a successful year. What, what are you going to go get for yourself? What do you, how are you, how are you going to up-level your lifestyle? Any thoughts there? No, I mean, I typically, I guess I've got everything budgeted out in terms of money. So, I, I mean, I know kind of when I'm going to buy something. Like, I mean, I don't really buy stuff uh, per se. I, I more use it on vacations, honestly, to where, you know, I mean, if I'm going to do something extra, it's going to be an experience, not really a thing. But I would say, I mean, if there was something that were more physical, I mean, it would probably be in the house realm, just in terms of, you know, I live by the beach. I mean, ultimately, I would love to have a house on the beach, walking to the beach. So once I hit my comfort level for all my cash flows, and that might be something that I do. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, try and find like an interim goal, maybe at the end of this year, right? Like you're... In one year, you make you probably save more than what most people do in five to ten, or what you know my investors do in like five to ten years. So kind of you know put try build in rewards for yourself. I think that's the thing because you never know you never know when this is going to end. I'm better about getting stuff for other people than myself. Yeah. Yeah. So something something to work on. Something you'd be like, well, that's that's kind of. I mean, I know you're not a materialistic person, but maybe it's not even materials. It's, it's another extra vacation or something just a little bit that kind of you remembered, right? Yeah. I mean, my, I mean, it's my goal now is for it to be trying to go to Thailand and Indonesia next year. So that upgrade might be like a first class ticket or something. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you to, keep constantly your, your nose to the grindstone, you know, you have to come up for air every once in a while. And if not, you're going to burn out. Yeah. And not an uncommon 
process for physicians. But, uh, All right, Matt, was there anything else? Or I think, I think that was a good call. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you guys uh, want to join our club, the Simple Passive Cashflow Hui Deal Pipeline Club, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash Hui. And uh, we've got the mastermind starting up, simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye, guys. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.